All right, let's get started with this, uh, this message. This is the third week of our series, Choose Joy, and I want to have a word of prayer. God, I want to thank you for this moment, and I'm asking that you will move supernaturally, supernaturally, both in my life and through it in the lives of those who are listening and engaging. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. Praise God. Listen, we want to jump right into our theme text for this series about uh, discovering and choosing joy, even in the midst of tough times. And the writer of Hebrews uh, has the word for us today. It's the theme for the whole series. And we're going to look at the the first portion of that this uh, week. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, shout, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, shout perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy. There it is, guys. That's the theme of our Easter worship gathering. That's why I say we're going to do it for the joy. For Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there ends the reading. And listen, for the last several weeks, I've been reflecting on a question that was raised by a panel on NPR. And it is a question that I think all of us are wrestling with in some form or another. Here's the question. During times of stress and great suffering, Is experiencing joy impossible, naive, or even callous? And I told you that we're going to take really a total of five weeks, if you would count Easter in that, uh, five weeks to unpack the answer to this question for you and for me. Now, two weeks ago, here was the insight of the teaching for that week. Here it is. Yes, joy exists even during times of great suffering. Last week, here's the insight that we taught. When it comes to finding joy, you and I need to know what kind of joy we're looking for. And one of the things that I said last week was that the joy that we're pursuing, the joy that the Hebrew writer is talking about, is, is a joy that is greater than happiness. Listen, when I was growing up in Zion Chapel Baptist Church, Shirley Caesar came out with a song, and, and the lyrics of the song was simply this. Uh, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. That's the kind of joy I'm talking about. Look. Some of you may have grown up in Sunday school or little kids class in church, and you might remember this song. I've got a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You remember that? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. (laughs) Some of you may recall that song. Uh, Both of those songs are talking about a unique joy. It's the same joy that the Hebrew writer is talking about. This joy that we're talking about, teaching about, does not begin with feelings, shout feelings, type that in the chat, feelings based on our circumstances. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's not what God, Jesus was feeling per se when he was enduring the cross that the text talks about. No, this joy is an attitude. That's where it begins. An attitude. It can certainly reshape our feelings, but it starts with an attitude. Shout attitude. Attitude that defies our circumstances defies them. 
Now, I love this word attitude. I remember when I was a, a high schooler, we went to hear the Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was an inspiring speaker uh, during those days, encouraging young uh, students of color to dream big. And one of the things he said in his speech was, he said, listen, he says, where you end up in life is not ultimately about your aptitude, you know, what you're kind of shaped to do. He said, it's more about your attitude, your perspective on life. That determines your altitude, how high you rise in life. Tell somebody, it starts with your attitude. The joy that the Hebrew writer is talking about, that I'm teaching about, is a joy that starts with our attitude. Somebody shout, attitude. Now, last week I told you that there's two categories to understand this notion of joy. The first is kind of the traditional way that we think about it, right? Smiles, laughter, ecstasy, awe, happiness. But psychiatrists have, uh, and if you watch that NPR, listen to that NPR link um, uh, from a few weeks ago, psychiatrists say that there are broader categories and at least eight to ten other words, at least, that really capture different forms of delight that flow out of, uh, you know, a posture, an attitude that facilitates joy in our lives. And here's the second category, and, and I've added a couple of words to their expanded definition. Hope-filled expectation, that's what the text means when it says, for the joy that was set before Jesus. Contentment, conviction, gratitude, compassion, Faithfulness, all of these are doorways in which we walk into a unique sense of joy, even in the midst of suffering times. Last week, we talked about finding treasures in the darkness. Now, if you missed the last two weeks of teaching, here's the link right here on the screen. Make sure you access those teachings uh, so you can understand the what and the why behind all of this. All right. Now, today I want to talk about unlocking this joy that we, we discovered last week. Here it is. Keys to unlocking the joy that defies our circumstances. And I'm going to talk about three keys today. And then I'm going to add uh, a couple of more next week and end up talking about how to experience this joy ultimately. That will be our focus for next week. Okay. So, keys. Here's the first key. Reflection. Come on. Shout reflection. Type that in the chat. Reflection. This notion of reflection is implicit in the Hebrew writer's uh, perspective on Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this notion of a great cloud of witnesses, uh, what the writer is really talking, thinking about is back in, he's thinking about the Roman Colosseum days that could be packed with thousands upon thousands of people. Think about some of our huge football stands. And the, and the writer is depicting this uh, as, as that place that exists beyond all time and place where the faithful end up. And, 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 and from that vantage point, the faithful can look back and all of chapter 11 is really talking about, come on now, some of those folk who end up there, the faithful, right? They can look back over the tough journey that they traveled, reflection. And then they can look forward and see Jesus pick up the baton and finish the tough race of faith that they were running and ultimately secure the victory. 
And when they look back in reflection and look forward and, and, and determine that Jesus has secured the victory, then they are there to cheer us on. That's what the Hebrew writer is suggesting. They're there to cheer us on and saying, keep running, run through the fire, run through the track, keep running, keep breathing, keep going, because the victory is secured. Somebody tell somebody, keep going, keep running, keep moving. Shout reflection. Now, when we talk about reflection, it's important that you get the details right. Details matter. Can somebody shout, details matter? Type that in the chat. The story is told about a young man named Alex. He was about 12 years old, I think, and he was standing in the church lobby looking at a plaque that was up on the wall, had all these names on it. And on both sides of the plaque was these small flags that, were, uh, that had been positioned up and down. And he was looking very reflectively, very contemplatively. The pastor comes up, Pastor Philip, and he says to young Alex, it seems like you're in deep reflection. What are you, what, what's going on? And he says, Pastor, who are all these people? And the pastor looks very somber and he says, well, this is a memorial for all the people who died in the service. And the young man looks and almost immediately his face drops with a sense of, somewhat fear and grief. And then he looks up at the pastor and he's, he says, uh, Pastor Philip, was it the 9 a.m. service or the 11 a.m. service they died in? <laughs> Somebody shout, details matter. Come on, come on, type in and say, get the details right, they matter. Come on, right? And, and part of what I'm suggesting is that reflection is a key that unlocks a, a joy that, that defies our circumstances because if we get the details right, we can look back and see where God was in our past and we can discover him, what he's doing in our present and find reasons to rejoice. Uh, I know many of you know the poem Footprints in the sand, a lot of, I've seen plaques all over the place in people's homes and offices. It's a fascinating story. A person of faith actually dies and ends up in heaven and they're reviewing, he along with God, they're reviewing his life and he sees this long journey of his life and, and he sees two sets of footprints and then he sees a period where there's just a one set of prints and so he turns to God and he says, I see the journey and I see these two sets of footprints. And God says, yes, that's when I was walking with you. He says, well, God, uh, uh, what about over here? I see one set of footprints in these places. And these were the places when I was, uh, at my, when the pain was the most intense in my life. And I only see one set of footprints. Where were you then? And God says, my child, I was carrying you. That's why you only see one set of footprints. <laughs> Somebody's listening to me and you're asking, where are you now? And the word that God wants you to hear today, I'm carrying you. One set of footprints. Get the details right. Reflection is one of the keys that unlocks the door to the joy that the Hebrew writer is talking about. Another key is faith. The whole chapter 11 uh, is about faith and this notion in chapter 12 is about faith. Another word for faith is trust. 
not just trust in anywhere, trust in God. Now, here's his definition for faith. The Hebrew writers, and remember, this journey starts chapter 11, verse 1. And here's how he defines faith. Now, faith, talking about faith in this incredible almighty God who ultimately will reveal himself in his son Jesus. Now, faith is confidence and assurance. Come on now. In what we hope for, that if your faith is tied to the almighty God, there will always be, it will always move you towards hope. And it is the assurance, or the King James Version says, even it goes strong at the evidence or the inner conviction about what we do not see. We believe even though we do not see it. Scripture uh, is full of, of examples of how the people of God believed even though they did not see. I mean, I think of what Paul wrote. He says, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it entered the heart of anyone. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't quite see it, but I believe it. There's an inner conviction that allows me to be faithful sources of the joy that the Hebrew writer is talking about. Now, if you've been around me at any time, at least a couple of months ago in a different series, I told you that this faith, this trusting in God, has several elements that, that makes it what I call a living faith and a, and a growing faith. The first element is that God is for me and not against me. He's able, even if God doesn't do what I want him to do. That God loves me boundlessly. There's no limits to his love. And he will never abandon me. Even when I see only one set of footprints, he's the one that's carrying me. And God will have the last word. Come on, shout last word. He'll have the last word over my destiny. He'll have the last word over my ultimate destination. He has the last word over my ultimate outcome. God will have the last word word that's the the suggesting that I've been talking to you if you've been in the series about Kay Warren Kay Warren is the wife of Pastor Rick Warren Pastor Saddleback Church one of the largest churches in the country and she wrote this book that uh, I have referenced throughout this series simply called Choose Joy because happiness isn't enough and she shares a story in this book fabulous story insightful story she says many years ago when uh Many years ago when her and, and uh, Pastor uh, uh, Rick Warren, put her picture back up there, which, but her and Pastor Rick Warren was invited to go on their first mission trip. She said that um, she was scared to death to fly. And she started having all of these uh, nightmares and thoughts. She, she saw what the, she felt like the plane was going to crash, that her little kids who were little at the time, what was, they were going to die, that, that she felt like people were going to organize while they were away and kick her husband out of, the, out of the church. And she had all these fears, all these worries, all these anxieties. And Pastor Rick Warren said to her, it's going to be okay, just chill out. It's going to be cool. And she said, who are you to tell me to chill out? What, do you have a crystal ball that you can tell the future to know that the plane is not going to fall out of the sky? Or did God send you an email and say that our kids are going to, not something bad is not going to happen to them? Come on. And she just goes off for them. And finally, she says she needed to get her heart attended to, so she engaged scripture like she typically does and she ran across the story of Mary when the angel came and, and turned Mary's life upside down 
You remember the story that the angel shows up and says, essentially says, hey, uh, you know, ultimately you're going to conceive and bring forth a child. You're going to name him Jesus. And, and with her life being turned upside down, Kay said Mary didn't ask any of the what ifs. Mary just simply makes this response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And it touched her. Just look at this. This needs to be my posture. And so she will write. Here's what she writes. And she talks about here was her prayer. Okay, so she prayed, I'm afraid, God, I trust you. Now, before you can get to authentic trust, you got to be genuinely honest about all of your feelings. She says, I'm afraid, but I trust you. I don't know the future. I can't figure that out. But God, I believe you are enough for me today and you will be enough for me tomorrow. Let my Attitude, there's the word again, type into the chat. Attitude, be the same as Mary, she, she was praying to God. Let me come to a place of peace. And then she goes on to define a little later on, she writes this. The place of peace I came to was not reassurance that I wouldn't die. It wasn't that God had somehow confirmed in her heart that she was, that no accident was going to happen. Listen, she had been the, 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 the first lady of Saddleback Church for many years. She knew that planes crashed. She knew that bad things happened to kids. She knew that life doesn't always work out okay. She didn't get that, that assurance. But my peace was this. Even if it's not okay, check it out. This is faith. This is the, the key to unlocking, another key to unlocking. Even if it's not okay, I will be okay. I will be okay no matter what happens. Because, shout because, God is with me and he will be enough. Can't you hear echoing in this, this notion that God was for her, that God was able, even if he didn't do what he, she wanted him to do, that God loved her boundlessly, would never abandon her, and that he would ultimately have the last word over her destiny. And that would be enough. Enough. Now, with this in mind, I want you to go back to, to the right in Hebrews chapter 11. And yeah, I, I really think of him as a, as, a, as a preacher, really, to tell you the truth, because by the time he gets to chapter 11, he's really preaching, guys. Uh, and, and he's talking about the power of people living their lives by faith. Come on, this key that unlocks this joy. And he begins, he defines faith. The, old, the King James Version says this way, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And, and it was, although he says, let me give you some examples. Let's just walk through the history of our Jewish people. Come on now. And he starts with, with, with Abel. And he, he says, by faith. And he moves from Abel to Enoch. By faith. He moves from Enoch to Noah. And from Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Come on, by faith. He moves moves uh, from there to Moses and then he talks about the kids the children of Israel going through the Red Sea and so and then finally it's like I just got to summarize this come on then he shouts by faith somebody shout by faith type it in the chat by faith these people overthrew kingdoms ruled with justice 
and receive what God had promised them, they shut the mouths of lions, shout miracles. This is Daniel. Quince the flames of fire, shout miracles. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escape death by the edge of the sword. That's some of the prophets. Their weakness was turned to strength. Shout miracles. My goodness. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women, shout miracles. Women receive their loved ones back again from death. Can somebody say miracles? Wow. He's saying, he's saying, with their faith, their faith kept them as they experienced mind-blowing miracles. Wow. But lest you be deceived about the journey of life, he then says, watch this, but others sometimes we're in that first group of where our faith keeps us as we see mind-blowing miracles but there are there are other times when we're in this group but others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free they place their hope come on now even though I can't see the source in a better life after the resurrection some were jeered or made fun of. Their backs were cut open with which I think of American slavery when I read this. Others were chained in prison. I think of innocent people uh, being put in prison. Others were sawed in half. That's the prophet Isaiah. Others were killed with the sword. That is the violence that sweeps across nations and communities like what's happening with the Asian American community at this point. Um, uh, 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 hateful violence. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goat and found themselves in poverty and isolated in life, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. These are the faithful. Now, which group are you in? <laughs> because at some point we're going to be in one or the other group, right? The first group, their faith kept them in the midst of mind-blowing miracles. The second group, their faith kept them in the, in, in the midst of, of mind-blowing miracles that never showed up. Somebody, okay, lest you be deceived about Christianity, lest you, lest you get confused and suggest that the Bible just simply says to you, if you have enough faith, that everything will always work out. Kay Warren was smart enough, wise enough, had lived long enough to know that life doesn't always work out. Come on, and you need your faith to keep you in the midst of mind-blowing miracles, and you need that same faith to keep you when mind-blowing miracles do not show up, somebody talk to me about joy here. Talk to me about joy here. Talk to me about that attitude that opens the door. Talk to me about joy here. All right, Kay Warrens can, can re-enter the story as I teach you today. You see, because uh, around early 2000s, she was diagnosed with cancer and it moved rapidly to the final stages. It was so terrible that the doctors had concluded that there was nothing else that they could do. Rick Warren sent out a letter to all of the churches and pastors and all of us all over the world has been praying for Kay and he essentially says, listen, the doctors have reached a point there's nothing else that they can do. It's in God's hands. 
And miraculously, mind, a mind-blowing miracle took place for Kate Ward. God healed her. And nearly 20 years later, she is still with us doing great things. If you read this book, you'll find her making hints about somebody in her life that was suffering from mental illness. She, does, she never really names this person. And yet, about 10 years after she was healed, we discover who this person is. It's her son, Mark, who's at the age of roughly around 28 years old, takes his life, commits suicide. He'd been struggling with depression since he was a kid. <laughs> Tons of people have been praying for his healing. And on the one hand, Kay Warren experiences in her life a mind-blowing miracle. She is healed. And on the other hand, come on now, she experiences in her life a, a mind-blowing miracle that never shows up. Her son is not healed. And the worst fear that she ever had comes true. He takes her life and she stands over his grave. Can somebody talk to me about joy? I thank God I'm not talking about a feeling that's connected to circumstances. And thank God that I'm, re I'm remembering what she said, that even when she's not okay, she ultimately will be okay. All right, here's the question you got to ask. Here's the question most of us ask. Where was God? Here's the question that Kay would suggest that you ask today. Where is Mark now? Yeah. I, I, by the way, I always say this, that when people take their lives, it's clearly a, 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 a mental breakdown. And, 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 and because we're designed for self-preservation, and if I'm smart enough to know it's a mental breakdown, surely God knows it's a mental breakdown and his grace has them. Come on now. So where is Mark? I want to come back to that in a minute. Well, the writer Hebrew will say, well, don't stop there. Ask this question. Where are all those folk that I talked about that was sword in half, that was destitute, that was mistreated? Where are they? And, and then he would say, and where are those other faithful folk that I talked about that experience? Where are they? And, 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 and here is the answer. Here, 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 here where they are. They are all a part of the great cloud of witnesses. This is where they ultimately landed. This is a God who, who says, I have secured the right to have the last word. And they're here now cheering us on. Oh, my God. Okay, you see, okay, you know that first group that I talked about? That first group I talked about? As I tried to hurry to bring this one close? You know all those miracles, those mind-blowing miracles? And that second group, the miracles don't show up? This text meets us in the illusion that we live in, and it totally dismantles that illusion. Here's what I mean. Whenever you get a miracle, come on now, it's always a temporary miracle. Because at the end of the day, death is still loose. 
And we got to contend with it. And all the miracles in the Bible, there was an expiration date on those miracles. Hezekiah in the Old Testament was dying. And he prayed that God would, 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 would heal him. And the prophet came and said, listen, God is going to give you an extra 15 years. And it was a time of great rejoicing. But there was an expiration date on that miracle. Jesus raised Elijah from the dead. Just like women received their loved ones back from the dead. The text talked about that. Hebrew writers talked about that, right? Remember that? But there was an expiration date on that miracle Elijah still died. And the list goes on and on and on. At the end of the day, both group of people who were faithful died. Whew. Here's where the rejoicing moment comes up. They show up. Come on now. Uh, on the other side of eternity, they take their seat. And they look down the line of time and, and God shows up in his son Jesus. And this is why they say, come on now, this is why they say, uh, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of life. Another translation, who is the champion who, who picks up the baton. Come on now. And he finishes the race of faith that we could not finish. And he secures the victory. How? Through his crucifixion, through his death, through his resurrection. He takes on the ultimate enemy. It's Death itself. And death represents, is full of all, of, it is the worst injustice. It is the greatest expression of that which is unloving. And he destroys the power of permanent death. And, and it is Kay who knows this, who says, wow, that gives hope. And that hope is attached to joy. That says that there will come a day when he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more crying. And that there will come a day when there will be a grand reunion because he is for her and not against us. He, he, he is able. He is boundless in his love. And that he has in Jesus declared the authority to have the last and that is what inspires us to keep working. All right, let me get to this last key. Here's the last key. So, so the, first, the first key is reflection. The second key is faith and trust. The third key that unlocks this unique joy that Hebrews is talking about is acceptance. Somebody shout acceptance. Some days we're going to be in the first group, great miracles. Some days we're going to be in the second group, the absence of miracles. And part of what the Holy Spirit job is to do in our lives is to help us to figure out what group we're in. Because if we're in this group, we should be praying, God, deliver me, heal me, save me, preserve me, right? But at some point, we may discover that we're actually in this group and we have to change how we pray from God, deliver me. We have to have enough faith to begin to pray, God, give me the strength to endure. Jesus says he endured the cross that's what Kay had to pray with the loss of her son. Give me the strength to endure. This is one of those moments. This is only one set of footprints. In. <laughs> I need you to carry me. Because you know what? I am your servant in every circumstance. Here's the last thing that we have to accept. And I'm going to, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. We need to come to accept this. Broken life will be. Can somebody write incredibly hard? Can somebody write and terribly painful at times and spaces? 
We got to come to accept this. This is hard, I know, for some of us to accept because, you know, we grew up being the jock. We grew up being Mr. GQ, Miss Pretty, whoever, Mr. Smart, a Miss Smart person, right? Life is handed to us. But at the end of the day, life is broken by sin. It is. And we have to know it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But it's going to be worth it. Do you see that? Worth it. If you're tied to Jesus, the work that he has done allows your work to be tied ultimately to redemption, the transformation of the world. So that's why you can work for justice. That's why you can continue to work to heal where there is broken, to be the bridge between uh, the bridge of reconciliation. That's why you continue to live righteous and sanctified lives and work for good. Yes, because it's tied to the ultimate redemptive work that we Christians believe is ultimately in Jesus Christ's victory. And that, my friend, is joy. Let us pray. God, thank you for these three keys. <laughs> Help us to learn how to use them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, I don't want you to just listen to this message and just go on about your business. I want you to respond. So the best way to do that is if you're in our app, there's a connection card popping up. You can also, if you're in the Facebook, uh, it's popping up as well. So, you know, just access that connection card, go to the Sunday section, and then go to Next Steps with Jesus. And there you're going to find a number of what we call Next Step options. And the first option I always highlight every weekend, and that is this is your opportunity to say yes to the one who secures our victory the one to whom our joy is connected. And then there are some other options there that I want to encourage you uh, to consider. And then under the response to the message section, there are two boxes. That second box, if you check it, uh, starting tomorrow, I'll send you an email every day from now to Easter with a prayer uh, and, a, and a scripture for you to reflect on. And you can engage with us uh, in fasting if you choose to start even now. Also, that first box I want to challenge you to check as it relates to our response to the message. Here's a commitment that I hope that you will make as it relates to the response to the message. It is simply this. I will practice reflecting, trusting, and acceptance. The three keys. And here is the reflection question. Take a picture of it. If there's somebody in the room with you, talk to them about it. Uh, this reflection question that says this. Which key for unlocking joy am I missing? All right. Three more things, very quickly. Don't forget to sign up for our Good Friday worship. There's a link here for you to do that. Make sure you're inviting friends and family. It's going to be a huge celebration.